Hi, hello, and welcome to the Back to the Pavilion podcast. My name's Hugh, and I'm your host for the original podcast that talks to former cricketers about their lives, careers, and experiences since hanging up their boots the last time. We find out about what they're doing now, how they've got there, and so much more along the way. This is episode 58, and all previous episodes are available wherever you get your podcasts from. So go back and have a listen if you've missed any. Today we speak to a player who represented both Warwickshire and Worcestershire second 11s, as well as England under-19s before being released. He then went on to play professional rugby, before moving on to a role that has seen his name appear on this podcast many, many times, as he now works for the PCA as a player development officer. So to hear about this and so, so much more, join me as we welcome Charlie Mulrain back to the pavilion. Did I get much notice? No. Um, you didn't in those days. Um, you know, things have changed now where if you're in your, your last year of contract, you'll have at least three appraisals. So there'd be one at the start of the season, one in the middle, and that middle one will give you a grading. So you'll know where you stand. But, but back then, no, it was all about rumour. It was rumour, feeling, um, and, uh, and it probably summed up why my cricket career didn't, didn't last very long. Um, was a, I was quite an anxious player. I think, you know, the step up from, you know, being, you know, the best in your school, you know, and performing at county level, you know, junior level is, is very different to, to stepping up and, and walking into a dressing room with, you know, Gladstone Small and um, Dermot Reeve, uh, Brian Lara, Alan Donald, you know, it's, it's, it's very different. And I think in that last year, um, I actually made a, a really good, really good start to the the season. I was batting well, you know, training hard, batting well in the nets. And Bob Woolmer said, um, you know, bat like this, and there's a place in the first team for you. And perhaps instead of that being almost like a motivation, it was almost like, oh my gosh, you know, I could be, I could be in there. Um, and I had a couple of, I think I had a couple of performances. I was playing second team, and then I was twelfth man for the first team for a number of games, which sort of uh, broke a bit of my rhythm. Um, and it's I started thinking, you know, what if, you know, what happens if it doesn't happen this year? And I ended up in a way talking myself out. So I'd almost sacked myself. So when I was asked to um, uh, into the into the office, uh, I, I mean, I can't remember when it was. It was perhaps only a few weeks before the end of the season. I knew what was coming. Um, and it, it yeah, hit me like a, um, a sledgehammer. And I remember I remember sitting there and not having anything to say I couldn't articulate anything you know it was almost like right just tell me I'm, and then I'm going to leave leave the room so yeah I do uh, I, I remember it well there wasn't a lot of warning did it you say it hit you like a ton of bricks did it have a big effect on you that kind of I'm sorry but you're no longer required yeah it it, it massively um it I mean it's something that that you know I I can empathize with now um you know, we. I know we're going to talk about the role I'm in now with the PCA, and and we we've always got to be careful that we don't sort of project our own experiences on other players. But um, it probably helps having that experience of 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 being sacked. And it was in those days; it wasn't released. It was, you know, the players talked about it as you're sacked. Um, and it, it, I, I had no idea what my, who I was in a way, what my identity would be beyond cricket. And I think probably the hardest thing was that all of my friends saw me building up to this point and, you know, I might 
pop in to see them. And I'd be wearing maybe some of my Warwickshire gear. Uh, some of them would be going off to university and college. And so for me, it felt like my, my career had ended before all of my friends' careers had even started. So it took me a, yeah, a long time to really get my, my head um, you know, around that, that, that decision. You ended up trialing at Worcestershire the year after. Was that was that helpful, or was there a, were you still suffering the effects of that sacking by Warwickshire over that next summer? Yeah, no, it was it was helpful. I mean, I, yeah, once I'd once I got over that that decision, I think I remember actually one of the innings before I had that before I was released. I think um, I think I knew it was coming, and I played with such freedom. Uh, it was against Yorkshire twos at oh I might have been at Soli Hull or somewhere like that and and I just didn't have any inhibitions and I just played I got I think I got 50 50 odd 60 odd um I got caught I remember I was, I was bounced out I was really annoyed because I was I was too early on the shot and I towed it to mid wicket and I was and I was caught but I just remember thinking why didn't I play like that throughout the whole year you know it was such a realization that it was it was inhibition through fear of failure that that um you know impacted on on how i performed so sort of once i got over that um i suppose yeah to a degree over that decision i did make it make a you know conscious um choice that i was going to give myself one more year i'm going to say right this coming year i'm going to trial um see what happens if i get a deal great but if i don't at least i can say you know i've given it um another shot how close to a deal at Warwickshire were you or was it um well I mean it's hard to I think I must have been close I mean I went to Glamorgan first um so I had a few games with with Glamorgan and then I tried with with Worcestershire and I think yeah Worcestershire always had a I think I always had a bit of a soft spot for them because you know they were they were I lived near the area I love their ground Mm. you know I'm, I'm quite a um, I like the look of places. Yeah, you know, I used to drive my parents mad because we play, you know, youth Warwickshire games at, at somewhere. It might be in Nuneaton or somewhere, and and I would comment on how you know it's like the aesthetics of the ground were, were making me feel a bit low. I mean, they would they would affect my mood, and and my parents would say just focus on the ball. You know, <laughs> stop thinking about you know what's around you. Um, so Worcester, I always loved playing there. I just it just almost like felt like a second home um and i did pretty well i think i got i got a couple of a couple of 80s i got 100 and you know that was actually my first second team 100 because i didn't score one at, at warwickshire so i think i was close i think it was between me and another another couple of players i can't remember at the time but um it didn't happen and um you know which is but at least i, I could i sort of reconciled that I was, yeah, I was reconciled by that decision because at least I gave it another go, and um, I could sort of look at myself in the mirror and go, you know, you've you've scored a hundred. At least you've proved that you can sort of you can perform, you know, at second team level. Um, so it felt a, a little bit better. Was that when you'd made that decision? You know, you'd done that extra year, and you sort of say, right, that's it. Was the was the level of support there from you know organisations for you at that point in your life, or was it just you're on your own now. Yeah, I mean, certainly, 
you know, I don't want to give anyone a disservice. So this is my recollection. But, you know, the, the PCA at that time, it was it was a small organization and they didn't have any people on the ground. You know, they didn't have any personal development managers. And in some ways, I, I don't think I even knew who the PCA were. You know, it might have been a dinner that some of the senior players went to, you know, when they won some competitions. Um, but I had no idea who they were. So, yeah, very much you on your own. Um, you know, once sort of like once you were out, you were out. Um, so yeah, when I when I had that year of trialing and and it didn't result in a contract, it, there was no almost like no exit interview. No, I didn't sit down with somebody to to plan what I would do next. It was just right. Okay, I've got to figure this out now because um, obviously I've got to um, earn some money and get a you know develop a new career. Did you know what you were going to do next? Did you have a Did you have a plan? No, I, I, I didn't. Um, I, I had no idea. Um, I was, I was fortunate. I mean, you know, we'll touch on rugby, but I was fortunate that I, I had another string to my bow. I didn't know at that point that it would, it would become a profession again. Um, but I'd always played rugby, um, so I played, you know, England sixteens rugby, um, England eighteens. Not the 19s cricket, so I had this 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 combination of the two, and I was playing for Mosley at the time, and I was playing for Mosley whilst I was still at Warwickshire. Um, so that was always happening, uh, but I had to get a day job, and, and my dad was the he was the publishing director at the Stratford Herald newspaper, uh, and I think yeah we we had a chat, and he said well look if you're interested you know. Company, I'm sure there'd be. We can find a job for you, and you can sell some advertising. and uh, And I ended up doing that, and really, really enjoyed it. And um, you mentioned rugby there. You actually ended up playing sort of professional rugby after that. Was that? I say, was that? Did was that just sort of you fell back into it with with leaving cricket, or was it? Uh, did you go right? Well, I'm going to do rugby now. Yeah, it. I mean, it happened through a, a bit of will, a bit of. Um, I had to make a decision. So when I was playing at Mosley and when I first started playing there at, at 18, um, I think things moved quite quickly. So I, I played in the first team quite early on. Um, I think I did you know, pretty well. And then I started sort of playing second team a bit more. And then I think I was, I was picked for the third team. And it, it, it was a realization when I saw that there were two scrum halves that were ahead of me. Um, and I thought this is, I knew I could play at a better level. You know, and it just, I thought I've got to move now or this is just going to drift. Mm. And it wasn't perhaps necessarily thinking this is going to be a career. It was just knowing that, you know, I, I, this was the time to, to go. Um, and I wrote, I think I've, did I write? I, might have, I think I wrote to somebody that, one of my coaches, I think, knew Richard Hill at Gloucester. And I think I reached out to him and we had a, a phone call and I remember, I remember the phone call vividly because I laid out on my bed, like all of my, like my, my rugby CV, like all the things I'd done. Um, I was so nervous. I was shaking, you know, speaking to Richard Hill because he's a scrum half and he was, uh, you know, he was somebody I looked up to as a, a scrum half. I mean, his, his um, commitment to, to um, honing his passing was something that, that you know, I was obsessive about it. My, my dad would say I would drag him out. Um, for hours just throwing off my left throwing off my right so to be speaking to, to Richard Hull on the phone and sort of knowing that this was quite a pivotal phone call 
where I was I was almost pitching myself. Um, you know, I had a I suppose I had a decent thing to say to say, look, I was England 16s, I was in the squad, England 18s, a certain Andy Gomeshaw, unfortunately, was the captain. So uh, <laughs> that made my chance of getting a, a gig harder. Um, and, and Midlands under 21s as well. Um, and he said, yeah, come, come and come and play. And we'll almost like, we'll see what, see what you like. And I think I had one training session and then I was picked for a, a friendly first team game somewhere. I can't remember where it was. And it, that was sort of make or break. And it was, it was just bliss. I think it's something my dad said to me once, cause he played at Mosley and he said, the higher you go in a way, the easier it gets because the people around you know their job and they do it well. Mm. And it was, it summed it up perfectly that the forwards just gave me the ball on a platter. All I had to do was focus on my pass, which was a strength of mine and let the rest rest happen. So yeah, that, that opened a new, a new chapter. You played England under 16s. Did you get to play at Twickenham? No, no, never. No, my 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 one game was in Portugal, actually. So we, I think we had, I think I think was, we had Italy, Spain, and Portugal, if I remember. And I got the, I got the nod at, um, away um, against Portugal. And it was, I mean, it's an. Uh, a silly, a, a silly story that happened because I was, I was so looking forward to standing there in a line, you know, and singing the national anthem. That was going to be a part of, um, you know, playing for your, your country at that young age. And um, so it all lined up and I've got it on video, you know, VHS somewhere. And there was a problem with the, um, like the speaker system. So they couldn't play the national anthems. I thought typical, you know, potentially my, my only chance to represent my country. And I can't even sing, you know, God save the, the queen. Did you win the game though? We did, yeah. I, I mean, I'm I, I'm terrible with 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 stats and data. I get a lot of stick for that. Um, we did win. I can't remember the score. I had an okay game. I think it was still during that time where uh, I had a lot of. I would overthink things, mm. you know, overthink things, worry a lot, you know, very much worry a lot, and that did translate into um, into the game. It's something that you know it got better over the years um, but it's still a great experience to you know to pull on that 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 shirt have you still got the shirt did you you know yeah it is somewhere it is somewhere and it's you know every year um i say to myself right i'm gonna you know put them in a frame and i'm gonna put them somewhere but uh i don't know it it, it sort of never happens and i don't know i'm sort of slightly I like the idea, but I'd be slightly uncomfortable about it. I'm sort of between the two. So I think they're in, they're in a bottom of a bag somewhere with some, I've, I've even still got one of those old Nike purple tracksuits, which I think is a, probably a collector's item now. Have you got memorabilia from your cricket playing days as well, still in the bottom of a bag somewhere, or has that gone now? Yeah, I've got, I think at home. So, you know, my parents' house, I think I've got my original um coffin you know in the days where it was a, a coffin and it's got my right you know my name on remember that was a christmas present to get my name written on it and it's got some kit in there it's got some moldy old sweaters and you know maybe some jock straps that need to be thrown away but uh, nothing nothing that memorable in there when you um when you went from your rugby career when you when you were released there did your experience of having gone through that with with warwickshire and and not getting a deal at Worcestershire did that help you when it when it happened again in rugby 
Well, I'm I'm pleased to say that that actually I, I didn't get released. Um, okay. Yeah, so um, it was a choice, a personal choice, hmm. which definitely was a difference. So, um, you know, so very briefly to sum up that the rugby, I went from Mosley to Gloucester, um, ended up getting in the first team. Um, I, I, I scored on my debut. That was a real highlight. Where um, that was against Quinns at the Stoop. Um, we lost. We lost seventy-five nineteen, <laughs> and uh, and it was really it was really difficult that game because I scored and I played well, um, and my parents were there, and it's, it was such a big event. Um, and I think they had like 13, 14 internationals and Carling was playing and all these, you know, these names. And I remember walking into the, into the clubhouse to see my parents trying to not have a beaming smile because they're all, the, you know, the Gloucester supporters, you know, you know just thinking we're a bit of a disgrace. Um, so, um, yeah, so, you know, when Gloucester got injured, um, there was some, you know, I, I left because of a contractual issue, which was a bit frustrating, went back to Mosley. Um, they went into receivership. Um, then I went back to Gloucester for a little bit and thought I might maybe be able to get back there. Um, and then ended up going to South Africa um, and playing in, in Cape Town for uh, for a good while. Sorry, for about three months or so. Um, back to then, then to London because the coach, uh, Alan Zondag, became the coach of London Scottish. Mm. And it was at London Scottish. They went into receivership. So, um, and then I made the choice. I thought, right, do I continue trying to you know, play rugby? And I was in my probably mid twenties or do I go out there and get a, get a job? And I think the, the excitement of putting on a suit and getting a job was um, attracted me away. Did it help? Like you say though, it was your choice, your decision. Did that make it easier for you to mentally to, to sort of say, I've made this decision myself. I'm leaving that behind easier to move on rather than at Warwickshire when it was sorry your, your services are no longer required yeah definitely and we 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 speak a, a lot about this in you know in the role at the moment with the PCA is that the more players can actually have control an element of control over the over the decision making or 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 what happens after that decision is made um it, it, you know it's it's really important it does shape how you feel um, and how you cope with that decision so actually coming to the, the decision that I was going to, to move on, um, it very much felt like I was in control and I wasn't, um, I wasn't completely rudderless, even though I wasn't sure what I was going to go into at that time. That, what, what did you end up going into at that time? You, you, you know, you've, you've done a lot of work in coaching and mentoring and career transitions. Was it straight into that or was there a, a stepping stone to that? Yeah, no, I was... Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I wanted to work in sport. That's as much as I knew. I thought, well, um, sport makes sense. So I, 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 I wrote off to a number of um, different sporting companies, things, things like Keith Prowse. So like hospitality businesses and events businesses. And there were a few sales jobs that were going, but they were, yeah, they were very poorly paid. Um, and then a couple of friends of mine were working in a recruitment company in London and they said that they were um yeah there, there were some jobs going there you know it'd be worth me throwing my CV in and I went for an interview with a company called Best International 
um, that was only about a year and a bit old. And uh, yeah, got the job there. And then, so that was my my first, I suppose, role in that kind of career-based, you know, development-based role. Um, and that, that gave me the taste for it. And then you've gone on from that. I mean, you've set up your own company to help athletes transition. Was it just as soon as you got into that role that that was, you had that kind of epiphany, that eureka moment of this is what I want to do. This is, this is for me. I think that there was something about, um, yeah, there was something I was drawn to with recruitment and that was asking questions and finding out about people and finding out what makes people tick and, you know, why do they, why do they want to go go in certain directions? And although the the money was was good and it was a, a great motivation when when um, you know a few commissions came in, that wasn't the main motivator. Um, it really was sitting down with somebody and really understanding who they are and where, you know where they want to get to, and and you know speaking to companies and, and understanding what they want to create um, with their recruitment plan. So I didn't know at that time that I'd be working. Um, in this field and, and with the PCA, um, but I, I probably felt I was on to something. Mm. You know, you work from the work with the PCA. So for since twenty twelve, has it always been as a um, a player development officer? Or have you had different roles for the PCA in in that time? Yeah, well, I actually started working with them. Um, oh, in two thousand and five. So two thousand and twelve was the first time I'm mean, in a full time role. Mm. But when I, I'd, I'd had a couple of recruitment jobs um, and then I did, I set up on my own. So I set up, uh, initially it was a recruitment business, working with some of the clients I'd worked with before. And I approached um, Rattus, Jason Ratcliffe. Mm. We'd been on the staff together at Warwickshire and he was working at the PCA. And I said, look, I've, I've set up on my own. I'd love to be able to help cricketers. You know, is there any way I can support what, uh, what the PCA is doing? And, and he got me on board just for, I think it was half a day a week to, to call some of the PCA sponsors and, and try and create work experience opportunities and link with um, the, the personal development team. Yeah. So I did that for a, you know, a good few years. And I suppose naturally in that role, I ended up speaking to players so that the, the PDM team might refer a player to me. And then I'd end up having those conversations with that player about you know where you're going, where you you know what skills have you got, uh, building on the work that the PDM team had had uh, had already already done. So I started moving further away from it was IT recruitment I was doing, which you know, wasn't wasn't my passion. So when uh, um, an opportunity came up to um, to cover somebody's maternity leave in the PDM team, it was just like a you know a no brainer, and I started sort of turning off some of the, uh, then it was Mulrain Sport. I turned down some of that and then moved into the into the PCA. So you're, you're now a, a player development officer. What does that involve from you sort of on a day-to-day basis? Is it, well, I mean, what, what, does, your, what does your working week look like? What do you do for the players? Um, well, it looks different now to how it did um, last year during the COVID <laughs> lockdown. Um, but the, the main part of the role is, is building relationships with players. That's, that, that's key. So it's, it's being very visible at, at grounds. Um, you know, it's being there at second team grounds, at first team games and training days. And initially, um, 
you have to be comfortable with being a bit of a lurker um, because sometimes you go there and there's no agenda. So you've, it's if you can be comfortable with being uncomfortable, you'll start having those conversations with the players, those corridor chats. Um, then you build up that rapport. And then, it, then it's sort of using your coaching skills to see where there are openings in what the player is telling you. And that might be an opening to another conversation that you have maybe at another time. Um, and the core of it really is to, we want to enable players to, to really be able to perform on the, on the, the park um, successfully, but also to, to have a plan so that they can perform away from cricket when that time comes. So we're getting that balance between, you know, developing parallel career plans um, building up slowly levels of education if that's appropriate and preparing them for that time when you know they, they either leave through their own choice or perhaps you know that choice is taken out of their hands so it's very much it's like a bespoke p- career plan for for individuals do you do sort of the groundwork for people do you make the phone calls to get them though that work experience or is that very much put on is that the player's responsibility or do do you actually open the door or do you just knock on it for them yeah it's it is a bit of both and I think what we've what you can find um when you first start in the role you you feel you have to do everything because you want to be doing a really good job so a player might say I'm really interested in um it could I don't know sales in a sports brand and you go away and you do all of this research and you you contact some companies that maybe are PCA sponsors and, and they say yes you know we'll speak to that player and and then you go back to the player and they say oh no I'm not no I don't really want to do that I'm not interested anymore so you sort of learn over time that you have to push back a bit um and it could be pushing back to say okay well why you know why are you interested in that you come back to me or let's have a conversation a, a bit later you tell me you know why are you interested in that what what skills do you feel that you 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 could offer to a company like that and where do you feel that the gaps are um and it could be well you come back with a list of companies that you're interested in mm-hmm. i'll do some work my end and we'll come back together and see where we are so i think we always have to test their commitment a little bit do and you... then... no, go, no go sorry so to depending on the on the player if they're fairly um i suppose confidence perhaps the wrong word maybe if they're able to and are happy to do the the approaches themselves then we just let them go and we just guide them a bit but with another player we might just have to you know a bit more be a bit more hands-on it just depends have you seen a, a change in attitude towards sort of life after cricket whilst you've been doing the job has it become more prevalent in in players minds yeah definitely and i think there are there are probably a number of reasons why um when when the program was first set up so you know i suppose that was you know back in the early 2000s this was all very very new um and i don't i think probably no one really understood what it was for and what it did um i think players and coaches probably thought it was something that was a bit woolly a bit you know, ambiguous um, and there was a joke that, you know, back in the early days of the, of the programme, if a player was seen walking around with their personal development manager, it meant they, they were going to be sacked. You know, it, it was all wrong. It was all end of career stuff. Mm. That was the perception. And I think probably two things changed. Um, I mean, one thing is that the, the more the programme was embedded 
over a number of years, you'd find some of those players that you worked with then became coaches. So they understand, understood how the program worked. But also, you know, crucially, there was really, really strong evidence from, from some really good research papers um, that, that, that backed up the, the concept that which we all believed in, was if, you, if a player actually focuses on their, their personal development and their career development alongside their, their sport, not only does it reduce anxiety for the future, which is, you know, it makes sense, but also in many instances, it improves performance. And that was like the silver bullet. When, when that was getting wild, widely circulated, then we could actually sit down with, with players and coaches and say, well, this isn't a distraction for this player. This actually could have a positive impact on their performance because this player really needs something to take their mind off cricket they need you know an extra focus so that i think that was crucial have 12 months contracts helped with your role or hindered your role it's a good question um and it's probably one that we're we'll be interested to see how that develops in the the women's game um it and I, because of and I, I'll, I'll yeah cover that in a, in a second but I think it has been helpful. I think initially, probably no. You know, probably initially, um, the natural thing with 12-month contracts is that players would just throw themselves into cricket stuff during the winter. And at the very beginning, arguably, there wasn't um, perhaps a coherent coaching plan during the winter. It was like, gosh, we've got them for this period of time now. You know, how are we going to fill that, that time? Now it's much more structured and there's more flexibility. So written into the contract... Um, players have um, they can have two days of personal development time during the week over the the off season, mm. and they can also take that in in one block of a month. So players can really use it well, so they can sort of get the you know the best of both worlds. So in the women's game, it would be interesting because because professionalism is is brand new. We're now working with with players who they've got their degree. Um, some of them are studying a master's already have a master's and then they're going into cricket that's the first generation what about the next generation who are going into professionalism they might not do their degree you know they they might go straight into cricket so it'd be interesting to see how that shifts it's interesting i was thinking when you were talking about that with um with the ecb sort of defunding the the mccu program where um you know that that's going losing its first class status do you think you'll see less players going to university and carrying on their playing days. And, you know, theoretically, could that make your job harder as well? It, it would be interesting to see how that plays out because certainly players do, you know, they go to their, you know, Loughboroughs and, and Leeds and, um, you know, in Cardiff because they know that they, they get that cricket exposure and it keeps them, keeps the door open. So it will be interesting to see how what this, this strategy looks like because I think they're considering regional hubs. Mm. So these regional hubs will still have a close relationship with the county. So you'd think in a similar way that counties have a good relationship with certain schools, there will be that ability for a, um, a player to say, well, look, go to university mm. um, and, and train with this when, you, when you're available. And I think what, what still supports that is the... The, the rookie contract. So, you know, that's a new thing that was put in place what, a couple of years ago now in the, um, in the negotiations with the PCA, the clubs and the ECB that um, 
you've got your full contract at 27,500. And now we've got a rookie contract where you can have a a full rookie contract and train like a pro, but you have to do personal development alongside it a certain number of hours. Or you get a rookie contract and you go to university and then you come back to train once your, your term's finished. At least that's in place to hopefully still support those players that want to do it. So it's really interesting that kind of the fact that those PDM days are built into their contracts. I think it's a fantastic idea. I think is that something you fought for within your role, or was it fought for by the players and their representatives to the PCA? Yeah, it's very much fought for by the by the PCA and the players backed it. But it was definitely seen as vitally important to get that written into the contract um, because there'd be yeah there'd be some counties that were holistic in their thinking and 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 flexible um but yeah as soon as it's written into a contract it gives the player and us the right to say well no come on that's that's within the contract so you have to honor that um so that was that was a game changer when that was put in what what's the most bizarre thing that a player's ever come to you and said this is what i want you know when i finish playing this is what i want to do is there anything that's actually ever kind of made you go Oof, wow! I mean, no, no names. Don't embarrass them unless they'd be comfortable mm-hmm. to. But what what is the most bizarre thing that's anyone ever come to you and said, "This is what I want to do"? I had to I had to ask the team about this because I I felt very boring. I I couldn't think of anything, and I was racking my brains. And uh, so I just I threw it out the, to the team this morning. And uh, yeah, we had a few interesting ones. So we've got um, so somebody that wants to go on you know, celebrity shows. So they want to go on, you know, um, celebrity come dance, you know, um, uh, you know, like being in the jungle, celebrity. Um, yeah. Oh, um, oh, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Yeah. Shows I watch it. Um, and some other, you know, some of those shows, somebody wanted to be a, an actor. Somebody wanted to be a Bollywood actor. So, yeah, very, you know, it's an interesting challenge for the PDM when the, when the player says that's what they want to do. That's the that that you know. I suppose that keeps you on your toes, and you've then you've then got to go and and research and find ways to do that. I, yeah, I think I think that's fascinating. Do you um? You mentioned earlier that it's important to not sort of project your what your experiences onto players when you're working with them. But how useful has it been for you in your role having been through what you've been through in you know playing two sports professionally? And having your careers in those one come to an end in cricket as it did, and then you making that choice in rugby, how useful has that been for you with your role at the moment? It gives, I suppose, it gives a bedrock a bedrock of empathy. Mm. Um, and as I, as I said, I'm I'm very conscious, and perhaps it's easier for me because when that that um, when I had that meeting to be you know released by Warwickshire, that's that's 20 odd years ago it's so long ago mm. that it it's it, it doesn't affect me emotionally so i can have these conversations with players where i can i can just empathize you know i i've got a sense of what that could be like um i don't i do share experiences sometimes but but not all the time you know where it's perhaps relevant um but yeah, I think it's important for all of us to, and that's the role of, of being sort of a, a coach is, is to not to project your own feelings and your own views of something 
because that doesn't necessarily mean that that person is experiencing the same as as you did in that situation. So we're, I think we're all careful of doing that. But I think it has helped. But also, I think that length of time with the experiences that I've had after that in you know different careers um, has has been you know as helpful. Um, you cover sort of three counties. Are there of the other PDMs? Are they all ex-sports people like yourself or are they do they have different backgrounds um yeah we're not we're we're fairly probably fairly mixed now um and we've got um another two players that plays professionally um everyone is everyone is sporty you know everyone loves their sports and um yeah, they're, they're, everyone in the team pretty much has played sport to a you know a, a decent level, maybe not professionally, but but we have got different backgrounds. We've got people that have come more from a, an academic background, um, you know, others that have come for, from a um, a background where they're dealing with with sport, but more in sort of the administration of sport. So it's it's a really it's a really good mix. Uh, we, we actually had a. Um, uh, a zoom call just before um or earlier today and it was about looking at the the personalities in the team and how we all mesh and we did a something called a spotlight mm-hmm. uh, personality profile and it was really it was it was it was fascinating that we're, we're all big optimists you know, we're all big um you know let's get out there we're, we're very empathetic um optimistic very people focused um and uh, you know sometimes we need to be aware of um of being logical and you know being realistic so it's you know we have to be aware and in, in, you know self-aware as much as we're encouraging that with the players that we're working with do you do you look back on the skills that you accrued on your on you feel on the playing field either rugby or cricket and do any of those skills transfer and translate into the roles that you've done so, or the roles that you do now it... I was yeah I'm thinking about this. I think there's there's this element of connection. I think you know being part of a team there's that connection of you know you're trying to depending on what role you have you're trying to help the team perform. You know you want high performance in the team and you want to do your role really really well. So I think that does carry over for me is that Want, I suppose wanting to hone my craft that's that's something you know if I look at my cricket and my rugby I did a lot of that a lot of the the work that's unseen um you know whether it was cricket you know just a lot of balls hitting a lot of mm. balls if it was rugby throwing a lot of passes and I think that does translate and you see it with some of the the players that we're working with that you want to be good at what you're doing next so in this role, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested in what's out there in personal development. How are how are career coaches um, working with, with people? Have they got a different um, framework that they're using? And in fact, all of us in the team are really hungry, you know, to, to learn and, and, and to get better in what we're doing so that we can deliver, you know, an even better service to the, the players. Talk about that service. You, obviously, you, you know, you know, and you understand cricketers, you've, you've worked with other sports people from a range of different sports does what you do is it sport dependent do you find that different sports have different attitudes to kind of preparation for life after a sporting career i think there are differences in 
team sports and individual sports, maybe in terms of their mindset and level of support. You know, there are some sports out there that are very individual focused. You know, it's, it's all about them. Um, you know, they're not, they're not sort of parts, even though they've got, you know, coaches and a support network, um, how they perform is it's not dependent on, on anyone else. It's just them. So I think there's a different approach. Um, I mean, I do a, a little bit of work with, um, with cyclists. So this is just, I suppose it's like a sort of a passion project of mine. So, you know, where I, where I've got time, um, I've career coached some, uh, um, so sort of amateur to, to semi-pro cyclists. Um, and for them, they, they, they're balancing having a, having a, a career, but almost like a part-time job. And they're trying to balancing it, balance it with a, a ambitions to become full-time in the cycling whereas, whereas cricket if they've got a full-time job and that that's cricket and they're trying to find time to figure out what they're going to, to do beyond it so there are subtle differences but i think most sports people do have that that element of anxiety about what happens next you know what does that that future hold when you you meet a player and you you they come up with a plan and when you see it come to fruition, does that give you a buzz? If you, you've worked really well with a player and, and they then go on to have a successful career, do you sit back and you go, you know what, that, that's, that's a buzz for me. That's a, a real achievement. Massive. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really rewarding. And especially when it's somebody that, um, and we, we, we talk about this as, as a team, that it might be somebody who's, who hasn't engaged, you know, they haven't worked with you, you know, you, 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 give them the opportunity but they don't at that time and then something clicks and then they get they're really hungry you know they really want to do the work and and they do a lot themselves and then when you see them make that transition successfully from cricket to a new career and you see them flying um it's it's a huge buzz um it's you know it's it's massively rewarding because you want to um you want to see people safely exit the game because there's you know there are so many stories um of of players who find that transition really really difficult i mean we've got a you know a, a charity the professional cricketers trust and and one of the aims of the charity is to support players that 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 really struggle you know during that time and it, this is current and former players um we've got a um a relationship with Sporting Chance, the Tony Adams' charity. So they they man a, um, a helpline for us. So, you know, we're in a really fortunate position that, that when players come to us um, with with issues, if they're, if they're struggling with something, it could be something as acute as, you know, really, really bad depression, or it could be um, um, addictions, or it could be just anxiety and and uh, and stress and burnout. Then we can put them straight into a system for support. So you know that's there's a framework that the, the PCA has, which is you know we're 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 very fortunate that that's that's possible. Um, so yeah, it's it's a, it's a big buzz to see players you know find find something that they're they're passionate about or they're good at you know beyond playing and uh, can look hopefully look back at their playing days with some. Um, some pleasure does that buzz come anywhere near to the same buzz as taking wickets or scoring runs or scoring a try in a, as a as a professional sportsman or is it just different 
for me but yeah it yeah it's a big it's a bigger buzz probably because the um those sort of moments were few um no i mean i i had some nice i had some really nice moments you know and i do look back at them and they were really special but it's a different kind of special it's very it's almost like a very um, selfish feeling there's nothing wrong with that but it's just all about me that huge buzz of of feeling that you've you, you know when you score a try it's that you've converted something you know you've, you've done the right things and you, you get that fruition and the, the buzz of the crowd and that's amazing but it is very different to seeing somebody um find success for themselves and it's you know it's it's nice to feel that you've played a part in it but it's to see uh, the fact that they're, they're you know they're in a good place and i think you know at the pca that's what we're about is to is to make that help that to happen as many times as possible you know with our with our members you mentioned those kind of those moments that you had on the field if there was a, a charlie mulrain highlights dvd what what would be on it for you yeah <laughs> um what would be on it i mean it would be uh it would be the um the try at, at the stoop um I th and I, th you know, I think because that was probably one of those moments where I didn't have doubt, and I, I need almost like I need to sometimes remind myself of those moments because that was very special. And it was a, a free kick on the halfway line. I think it was just beyond the halfway line in our half, and I did what I would have done in a in a school game. You know, I, I grabbed the ball, I tapped it, and I just went, and the whole um it just opened up in front of me uh and i went past i think it was jim staples the the fullback you know put the ball down underneath the post and it was just i've just scored you know it's just that you know i was very conscious of, of what had just happened um there'd probably be there was a, a i think i think i scored a hundred i think at it was an england under 18 schools cricket game against scotland um and we were i can't remember the uh the the numbers but we were chasing a big total and i remember the coach um he said to us um and i was the captain he said look, look we're not going to go for the um we're not going to risk losing that's right he said right we're not going to risk losing and it was like red a red rag to a ball and uh and i remember i wish i could remember who was i was batting with i have to look it up again um and we just went no you know we're going for this and it just clicked and we were hitting it to all parts. You know, we won with, I don't know, like a, an over or so to spare. And it was, that was very, very special. And I'm sure there, yeah, there are a few more, but I don't, I honestly, I don't, I don't think about, think about it too much. I always ask these questions to, to everyone that I talk to. Um, but I feel like this, is, you are the person to answer these questions, Charlie. Cause I always ask, you know, what advice would you give to a young player starting out in the game now? What, what, but I suppose it's what advice do you give to young players starting out in the game now? What do you say to them? I think I, I think the key thing is is the is to go for it and give it everything. You know, give it everything, um, so that you 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 never look back and think what if. So be totally committed, and be totally committed to the. The, the abilities and your unique way of getting to where you are at the moment because doubts can easily slip in so it's like don't compare yourself to anyone else want to get better 
but just have that belief in in your in your own skills that have got you to, to where you are at the moment and be open be open to the idea of um having other interests or exploring other things other things alongside your sport in the knowledge that actually they're probably going to help you perform better rather than be a distraction so i think if you distill it to those two it would be that belief there's three you know belief um be totally committed but have an open mind about the the benefits of of personal development what about a player sort of coming to the end of their career you know maybe mid 30s in the last year of the contract what what about them what what would you say to them if they if they've not heard it before um i suppose they're different messages because if they're if they haven't started any personal development then let's start now um you know let's 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 speak sooner rather than later um but also have confidence that there are there are your you know your 15 years if you're 35 that those 15 years in the sport has value even if they haven't done any work experience or or you know any qualifications that will still have value and the more that they can understand um their their particular transferable skills and how they could cross over into something else then they'll be able to build that bridge to to get there um, it might be too late to do work experience and things like that, but the more understanding they have of their own transferable skills, their own signature strengths, and get a really, uh, and I suppose, an acute understanding of how that could translate into another business that might benefit them, then that would be, yeah, that would be helpful. You mentioned earlier, now players in the last year of the career, they have to have those three appraisals. Is that, again, something that the PCA fought for to be written into contracts? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, we were finding that there were too many situations, you know, a few years ago where, where players would, would only find out whether they're going to be released or signed sometimes on the last day of the season. I've even had a situation where they didn't even know when their contract had run out and they, the club still didn't tell them. So, you know, we, that couldn't happen. You know, we were, and look, on the whole, counties are, they want to look after their, their cricketers and we, we do work very much hand in hand with the counties so th th this wasn't a difficult thing to, mm. to put in place and i think it's it's really encouraging encouraging when we, we we have conversations with the counties where often they're coming to us to say look it, is this the right approach you know and they're sort of just double checking that they're following the guidelines and that's great because then we can work with the county for the benefits of the of the player so you know, having having a, a mid-season appraisal where they the plan has a really good, hopefully, you know, understanding of, of what does that player need to do to get a contract? Is a contract likely? Is it not likely? They can start to you know, to build plans and make changes for the for the future. Thinking of your future, well, it's the standard job interview question. What's what's Charlie Mulrain doing in five years' time? What what's the the future hold for you? Five years time. It's a, uh, it's a yeah, a long time. A lot can change. I'd still be working in this space, definitely. You know whether, whether I'm I'm still with the PCA. I hope so. You know I hope there's still, you know, um, a role um, that that I can play within the organisation. So yeah, I, I I would love to still be involved with the PCA. Definitely still involved in this type of work. Um, in in career development, personal development, 
um, yeah, real focus on on career change. Um, you know, I think yeah, that's a that's a difficult experience for for lots of people, especially now in the environment at the moment. So um, yeah, definitely still working in this space to some degree, and and you know, it could be working. I'd love to share what we do with the PCA to a bigger audience. So, you know, maybe building some online um, programs and coaching models so that other people could access it as well. That would be, uh, that is something of interesting. And then it's sort of the, the utopia question, really. What What's the secret to a, a happy retirement from, from playing professional sport or professional cricket? Happy retirement. Um, I, I'd say a lot of it is easing anxiety. So being financially, if you, if you can leave the game, you know, in a, in a financial situation where you've got time to, to make the choices that you want to make is, is really valuable. Um, and having hopefully a, having a, a frame of, of, of um, reference where you look back at your career and you're looking at the highlights, you know, you, you look at all the things that you've, you've, benefited from you've gained you've experienced from that time as a, as a pro because it can be too easy to to see it go and you just look at those times where you were you know dropped or it didn't quite work out you're deselected you know that time in the dressing room is something that I know players really really miss so soak it up while you're in there you know really have maybe have those moments where you stop and you look around you and go this is brilliant you know this is just such a great job it's almost like step off that um, conveyor belt for a bit, um, make some plans, hopefully be a bit financially you know, in a good place. And uh, yeah, that, that would probably help. Charlie is someone I wanted to have as a guest on the podcast for so long. The way that other guests have talked about him and the impact he's had on them, for me, made him a must-talk to bloke. Charlie won't mind me saying he didn't necessarily agree and was surprised to be asked on the show. However, I hope you'll all agree with me that Charlie and his story and the work he has done is fascinating, and I found the way he spoke so eloquently just inspiring, and I would happily place a work transition for me in Charlie's hands in a heartbeat. Next time on the Back to the Pavilion podcast, we speak to a former Lancashire, South Australia, Queensland and Italy all-rounder. He played 146 professional games in his career, scoring over 4,000 runs and taking 200 wickets along the way. Since hanging up his boots, he's coached Italy and many other clubs and sides. Plus, he's taken to the stage in a number of rock bands and played in front of thousands of people. So to hear about this and much, much more, join me next time as we welcome Joe Scuderi back to the pavilion. That's all from me for today, so be kind, take care of yourselves and others. Bye-bye for now.